Let's open the Scriptures this morning to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31. We'll read the verses 10 through the end of the chapter. It's in connection with our text in Genesis chapter 2 concerning the creation of woman, woman who then is given to Adam as a wife. So the Holy Spirit describes to us the the kind of wife God intends a wife to be as well as uh, take note of the husband who surfaces along the way. There's the excellent wife and there's the excellent or noble husband as well. Verse 10, an excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, when he praises her, many women have done excellently but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Please turn with me in the Scriptures to Genesis 2, the verses 18 through 23. In the Pew Bible, page number 3, continuing where we left off, or just about anyway, we'll, we'll have to come back to verses 15 and 16 another day and 17. But today we're going to focus on 18 through 23. We read there, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. 
The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That's as far as we'll go. Next time we'll take the last two verses, the Lord willing. In response to the preaching of the gospel, we'll sing Psalm 128, stanzas 1, 2, and 3, about the blessing of the man who walks with God and the woman who joins him as wife. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we saw last time how Genesis 2 describes in some detail the particular creation of man. God very carefully, very purposefully forms man from the dust of the earth, breathes into him the breath of life. So we learned again that human life springs into existence not by some chance explosion of molecules billions of years ago, not by the evolution from the ape, but by the singular, creative, instantaneous act of the living God. What was in one moment a pile of dust becomes in the next moment a living being, Adam. And what our text goes on to relate is the next step in mankind's history, the creation of the woman. For Adam starts his life alone. At the beginning of day six, he is the only human being around. But by the end of the day, he has received a gift, a treasure of inestimable value. Adam receives his bride. And so I proclaim to you this word of the Lord. God forms woman as a helper fit for man. God forms woman as a helper fit for man. We'll see three things, Adam's need, Adam's rib, and Adam's wife. When you think about the creation of man, then one of the striking things is indeed that we find Adam created alone. The Lord God does not choose to form two piles of dust, one into a man and the other into a woman. No, he instead chooses to make only one creature, the man, Adam. And we're told he plants a garden for Adam. He puts man there, verse 15, to work the garden and to keep the garden. So Adam is on his own. Every other creature has its mate. The animals we read earlier in chapter 1, they were created in multiple numbers, but Adam is alone. 
And what we have to see in this, beloved, is the master designer at work. There's always in the Lord's ways a, a purpose and a method. I mean, if you quickly read through our text, you might have the impression that God is kind of doing things on the fly. He creates Adam, but upon further reflection, realizes that it's not good for man to be alone, so then he sets out to find a solution to the problem. That's often how we do things, right? We don't have the ability to foresee every possibility and eventuality, so we become problem solvers. We, we often change the course of our plan as we go. But brothers and sisters, that's not how the Lord works. The Lord never needs to do things on the fly. For Him, the outcome and the consequences are always perfectly clear, so it is no surprise to Him that Adam needs a helper of some kind. Certainly, the Lord could have created Adam and Eve in the same instant, but He chose to do it in these two distinct, deliberate steps. Why does He do that? Well, we get a clue in verse 18 where we read, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. It is not good for the man to be alone. That's a remarkable statement for God to make, isn't it? I mean, for five days now, if you go back through chapter 1, for five days of creation, the Creator had said just the opposite. He had observed His handiwork at the end of each day. He could say, it is good. But not so with Adam's creation. There's something off here. You might recall from an earlier sermon that that word good, the idea of good, in the context of God's creation where Obviously, there's no sin yet. It has a particular sense. It has the sense that something would be able to fulfill its created purpose. So it's not good as in the opposite of evil, but good in the sense of it's able to do what it was created to do. So when God says of Adam that it's not good for man to be alone, there's something in the design that is not yet complete there's something that needs to be added or changed. His aloneness is not good in that sense. And God wants Adam to realize that fully. That's why God says it out loud. The other five days, Scripture says that, that God observed His creation to be good, but now He actually speaks it out loud it is not good for the man to be alone. He wants Adam to pick up on that. The Lord is very deliberately leading the man along here, showing him how he definitely needs someone to fill the void that he experiences in his life. He needs someone who will make it good. The Lord wants the man to carefully understand and deeply appreciate the woman he will soon receive. That's also why God has Adam study all these animals. You know, again, when you read that, you might wonder, well, okay, what, what's going on there? Like, uh, seems kind of like an interlude in the story of the creation of woman. 
But again, the Lord has a purpose in mind. We find that in verse 19. God brought the animals to the man to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So Adam had to name the animals. That may not seem too important for us. When we give names to things, then it's often without, not without a, or without a, a lot of deep thinking, like our kids will name the pet dog, right? What, what do you want to name the dog, kids? Fluffy? Mopsy? What's it going to be? And parents sometimes will give their kids nifty names, but for most of us, we don't have a real big purpose in naming something or someone. But in the Bible, it's the other way around. Giving of names is always loaded with significance and purpose, even more so here in the creation account. Back in Genesis 1, we read that God gave names to certain things. He calls the light day. He called the darkness night. He gives a name to the expanse above. He calls it sky, and, and He calls the, the ground land. He calls the water seas. So this act of, of naming something in Scripture, that's an act of authority over that thing. It's God's prerogative to name parts of His creation. Even more, those names aren't picked out of thin air, but these are names that reflect the essence of the thing being named. So the names are carefully chosen. And God gives Adam his first task then, Remember the task of exercising dominion over the creatures. He says, okay, Adam, here's your first task. Name these creatures. Exercise authority over all these animals. And when Adam does that, he, again, he's not picking names at random, but as the man who's perfectly able as, as appointed king, he looks into the creature, so to speak, with understanding. He looks into their nature as an animal, and he chooses a name that would be fitting for the animal. So Adam has to study, contemplate each of the creatures, you see. Do you see what the Lord is doing? How through this important work, God gives to Adam a greater awareness of his own circumstances. Because Adam sees one by one, two by two, how all these animals have mates. He has none. Even more, Adam has understood the nature of these beasts. He, he's taken a look at the cows and the horses, the pigs and the goats. He's understood what a sheep is all about, and a lion, and a wolf, and a tiger, a giraffe, an elephant, and all the other species. God brings them before him, and, and Adam sees what they are, and he's led to the conclusion in our text, verse 20, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. You see, that's what this is all about. This was a search for a helper. There was not found a helper suitable for Adam among all the animals. The Lord knew that in advance, of course. But now Adam fully realizes that in all this vast world of created animals, there's no match, there's no complement, there's no partner. Adam is still alone at the end of the process, and it is not good. Do you see here, brothers and sisters, the, 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 the tremendously high 
and valued position, the Creator, even before He makes her, the Creator is bestowing upon the woman. He's really driving it home to Adam. Without her, this creature yet to be created, he is incomplete. So long as she is not there, there's something not good about his situation. You can look everywhere in creation, high and low. You can live with the apes in the jungles of Africa. You can be raised by wolves in the forests of America or tended by tigers in the thickets of India, but there is no creature that is suitable for or as a companion for man. There's no creature anywhere like the woman. Husbands, do you realize that about your own wife? The Lord is driving it home to Adam how precious the gift is that he will soon receive. How precious his future wife will be as someone to remove that aloneness. She's the only one who can fill the vacuum. She's the only one who can join him in his task. Brothers, I ask you again, do you realize how precious, precious your wife is as a gift from the Almighty? The Lord went out of his way to impress that upon Adam. You know, men tend to think, we tend to think, us men, that we are rather self-sufficient, that if push came to shove, we could be just fine on our own. But that's just not the way God made things. Now, it's true, and I don't want to diminish this truth either, it's true that there are some people, both male and female, who are given the gift of living alone the gift of singleness, who can be on their own with, with a peaceful, contented heart. They have the ability to do particular work in the service of the Lord, and we should honor such individuals. We should rejoice in such individuals and cherish them as much as we would cherish a married person. But I want to underline this, such persons are exceptions to God's pattern laid down here in the beginning. The rule of creation is it is not good for man to be alone. That's the general rule. So you men, you were, unless you've got that special gift of singleness and being content in it, you were created to be paired up with a wife. And women, you were created to be joined to a husband as a helper fit for him. That's the design of the Maker. The Lord says that man was and man is in need of a helper. There may be some confusion about that term. Some of us know the King James Version still, and remember that it's translated there, a help meet for him. Some of us know that language. That over time became blended into one word, and a wife would then be referred to as a husband's help meet. She's my helpmeet. Trouble is, that's not really a word, and it kind of blends together uh, two words here, and it kind of makes things obscure. I mean, what is a helpmeet? 
it's good to realize that in the original, it's not a single word, but it is a noun plus a verb. It's literally a helper who is meat. That's the old verb. The more up-to-date verb would be a helper who is fit, a helper who is suitable for the man. Man needed a helper to complement him. That's the idea. Now, that word helper, I think, suffers from a bit of an inferiority complex in our time. A fellow in business for himself might hire a student for the summer and describe the student as a helper. Here's my helper for the summer. The helper is not the one in charge. He's not the one calling the shots. He just lends a hand. He does what he's told. He gets paid at the end of the week. Everything's good. There's a boss and there's a helper. And and in times past, some have read that concept into our text as if the woman were made as some kind of inferior assistant to the man just to do man's bidding, like the hired help, to basically keep her mouth closed, do as she's told, be thankful she has a roof over her head and food in the cupboard and clothes on her back. But, beloved, that is not at all what the Bible means or teaches as helper. When you look in Scripture, someone who is described as helper is never in an inferior position to the one that's being helped, never second class, never lower. In fact, the same word used to describe woman is described in in Scripture, uh, is, is used to describe God. For example, in Psalm 124, we confess that each worship service, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Same word. We sang it from Psalm 69. God is our helper. Is there anything inferior about the Lord? You would never ever think of describing the Lord as beneath man, right? A helper in the Bible provides the power or the ability that is lacking in the one being helped. The very fact that man needs a helper shows his inability to do what he was created to do. It actually shows a lack in the man. And the helper is the one who gives that added ability to fill that need. So, woman is created to help man complete that task of subduing the earth and ruling over the animals. She is necessary. She's a necessary complement to the man to help him populate the earth, to help him raise up the next generation of kings and queens, to be a companion for him in tilling the garden and keeping the garden. Man can't do it alone. He needs that companion. He needs the assistance. He needs the blessing of a helper whom God formed from Adam's rib. That's something special, isn't it? Verse 21 of our text. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Why would the Lord do that? I mean, earlier He had created a pile of dust, or He had gathered dust and formed it, and breathed into it the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Why doesn't He do that here with the woman and make a second pile of dust? 
Or why doesn't he, like he did in the first five days, just speak a word and instantly this creature woman would appear? Why does he perform surgery, as it were? He, he literally puts Adam to sleep, takes one of his ribs, and out of that rib forms the woman. Why? The Lord wanted to teach us this basic lesson that man and woman, husband and wife, are so intimately connected together that they are interdependent upon each other. The one can't do without the other. As much as man needs woman, so woman is dependent on man, for she comes from man. If we need to guard, on the one hand, against male chauvinism, and I think we do, in our time, we also need to guard, on the other hand, against feminism. Feminism, secular feminism, teaches that women are totally independent of man, that women can be happy and content totally on their own, that they are in no way bound to or connected to men. Feminism teaches that women are, are free to serve themselves. But the Bible says that women were created as helper fit for man. Woman's existence is intricately connected to man. She's literally born out of the man in a unique way to be sure, but she has her birth out of man's rib, just as later men will be born out of women. God created her out of man for man's benefit as his complement and as his co-worker in subduing creation. And any time there's perversion of that order, it will not lead to peace and contentment as the world thinks. It will lead to unrest, discontentment, and bitterness. Let me try to be clear, if I can. We find here a very distinct creation order. Man was made first, then woman from the man. God did this by design and has meaning in it. As Paul, the apostle, says in 1 Timothy 2, he's writing there about the, the worship services of the church. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet here comes the reason, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. He goes right back to our text. Then he does it elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul exhorts a woman to have a sign of authority on her head. He says, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. There is a, a difference in roles here. Man is head of his wife has authority over his wife. Notice how Adam will show that later in our text when he names the new creation, she shall be called woman. Man is leader, man is the responsible head, while the woman is helper who follows the lead of her husband. But let me be equally clear. The difference in roles in no way means a difference in equality. Not at all. There is total equality in worth and value before the Lord and between each other. 
So many people accuse the Bible and us Christians of being patriarchal and domineering over women, but what the Bible teaches is not dominance, but headship, which is a different thing. Husbands, as head of their wives, don't lord it over their wives and order them around and boss them around, but husbands, as heads, they love their wives as their own body. A head, like the physical head, will always care for the physical body, right? So the husband will always care for his wife. He will do so with tender love, just like the Lord Jesus Christ cares for His bride. We'll look at that more in the next sermon, God willing, but let's remember now that our model for marriage, and specifically the husband's model as the the head of his wife, is how Christ as head loves his bride, the church. How is it that Jesus treats the church? Jesus is Lord of the church, isn't he? But as Lord, he became her slave in order to save her. How was the church treating him when he was doing that? Was the church respecting Jesus and and honoring him as Lord? No. The church was despising him even while he was giving his life for her. That's headship. Jesus has authority over his bride, but he's never rough. He's never abusive. He's never neglectful. Always kind, always gentle, always attentive. He uses his authority, yes, he uses it, what for? To serve the best interests of his bride. Brothers, should we not do the same? Should we not treat our wives in that same precious manner as our own body, as the object of love, sacrificial love? Doesn't God show us that too when He makes the woman out of Adam's own rib? For what the Lord presented to Adam when he awoke from his deep sleep was not some creature remote from himself, not some different species as yet unknown to Adam, But what the Creator brought to him was Adam's own flesh, very literally. Adam even cries out in joy, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. How could Adam ever demean his wife who is flesh of his flesh? I mean, she is of him. You see, husbands who who abuse their wives misuse them, boss them around, treat them as second-class citizens or neglect them, they've never understood this creation fact that how they treat their wives is in fact how they treat themselves. She is flesh of your flesh, brothers. God will say in verse 24 that husband and wife are one flesh, He makes them one flesh in marriage. How you treat your wife is how you treat yourself. If you put her down, you put yourself down. You treat her like dirt, you're treating yourself like dirt. 
And just like you don't endanger yourself or beat yourself or hate yourself or neglect yourself, so it must never even cross your mind to do such things to your wife. She is God's unique and precious gift to you as suitable, fit helper. You've got to love her like Jesus loves His bride. That word fit, a fit or suitable helper, means something like corresponds to. Unlike any of the animals, the woman corresponds to the man. She's well-matched. She's able to help and assist him in his God-given task. And that certainly means helping to produce godly offspring. It certainly means being fruitful in the command that God gave Genesis 1.28, but that's not all it means. Wives are not just to stay barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen all the time. That may have been society's ideal 70 years ago, but it was never God's ideal. That's why we read Proverbs 31. Maybe you want to flip there for a moment. Proverbs 31. Page 701. This chapter describes the excellent wife that few can find, the wife who acts as a helper truly suitable or fit for her husband. And what is it that she does? What, what's, what's the picture here? Is she told by her husband to clean the house, do the laundry, have dinner on the table when he gets back home, and for the rest keep quiet? Not at all. Far from it, verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. The husband trusts her to help him. He's not micromanaging her life. He's not looking over her shoulder at every penny she spends. No, he trusts he trusted her to run everything well on the home front. To say it in modern terms, the husband is quite happy to give her the key to the house, the key to the car, the key to the bank account, and he trusts her to manage it all well. Husbands, do you have that? Do you trust your wives? It's got to start there. Do you give her room to be the good helper to you that she can be, and that God means her to be. Do you encourage her in taking on the responsibility within the home and the family? Do you pray for your wife in that respect? Do you pray with her? Do you work alongside your wife to help her help you? Well, look further at verse 14. The good wife, verse 14, is like the ships of the merchant... She brings her food from afar. Then, verse 16, she provides, or 15, she provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. And then in verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. This is quite a woman. She's industrious, isn't she? On the one hand, she's, she's in the home and she's looking after her home. 
But she's not some wallflower that is just around for her look. She's, she's not part of the decorations. Not only is she a mother, as important as that is, but she's also a fellow laborer alongside of Adam to assist him by managing thoroughly the affairs of, on the home front so that he can do his task elsewhere. Wives, do you see how tremendous a role you have in helping your husband? This woman here, she's buying goods. She's planting vineyards. She's dealing with merchants. This whole dichotomy between working at home, stay-at-home mom, and working outside the home, that's not really in Proverbs 31, is it? This lady is focused on the home. Everything she does is for the benefit of the home and her husband, but she also labors outside the home. That's the secret here. That's the principle. Work outside the home, fine, but let it be for the benefit of the home, for the benefit of the husband. The point is, this lady is doing a lot. She's happy. She's trusted. She's busy. She's occupied. Much more could be said about this excellent wife of Proverbs 31, but brothers and sisters, understand this. The wife as helper, to go back to Genesis 2, she's no mere servant who has a few set tasks. No, she's a co-worker alongside her husband who knows of great responsibility both within and outside the home, all with a view to assisting her husband. Such a wife is indeed a godsend, and such a wife is needed by the husband. It's even proper, verse 28 of Proverbs 31, that her children, look at that, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Sons and daughters, boys and girls, let me ask you, have you lately stood up, so to speak, or maybe around the dinner table, said to your mom in front of everybody, mom, you are so good at what you do here in this home. Thank you so very much. Thank you for the care you give to us kids. Husbands, have you done what the Scriptures exhort you to do and praised your wife lately? I think our tendency as men is to mostly say nothing if everything's going okay. We take that for granted. We only say something if things are going sideways, and then we open our mouths to criticize. Brothers, let that not be so. Let's repent from that. Let us open our mouths to honor our wives. This is the excellent husband of Proverbs 31. He's in the background a bit, but he's, he, he surfaces here in verse 28, 29. The excellent or noble husband, he opens his mouth to praise his wife for all her labors her faithful work, care, and love. Brothers, are you being that noble husband? Open your mouth. Speak to her positive words of encouragement. Compliment her. Praise her. Make sure she knows that she is loved and valued by the husband she's aiming to help. She's there to help you. Make sure she knows that you consider her precious and see the blessing that your words will bring on your marriage and family. Only then can you really expect a noble wife to be in your home as a 
wonderful gift from God. For she is a gift. Notice that after God formed the woman, we go back to our text, Genesis 2, it says there that He brought her to the man. God brought her to the man, the Father in heaven, giving away His own daughter. Notice, too, that God gave one woman to one man. One woman, one man. You know, the governments of this world, they can legislate a definition of marriage that includes same-sex couples or even multiple partners, and that'll be the next thing, multiple partners. But it doesn't matter what the governments say. In God's eyes, there is only one kind of marriage between one man and one woman, and nothing will change that. And look at Adam's reaction, verse 23. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's as if Adam cannot contain his joy, his wonder. He's just been through naming all those animals. He's come to realize his own aloneness and that it is not good. Adam had looked high and low among the creatures for someone who could possibly be his suitable helper, but in the end it took a special creation of God to form just the one he needed, the woman. This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. What a relief, what a wonder, what a miracle, what a joy. Brothers, feel that toward your wife. Some of you have been married a long while. 50 years plus, some for 25 plus, some for five, maybe one or a bit less. Some of you are about to get married soon. God created your wife as a special helper for you. Long ago, man was, woman was formed not from man's head, so as to have dominion over him, nor from man's feet to be underneath him, but God chose a rib from his side so that she would always be beside him, close to his heart. Brothers, your, your, your wife is a precious, precious gift. She's like a jewel given to you from your Creator. Be filled with wonder and awe as Adam was, and then together as man and wife in harmony and love, work in this life for the glory of your God. Amen.